What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is the new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. With the impending indictment, the looming indictment of President Trump, I thought I would turn to one of my favorite legal commentators to sort of break down what's going on here. And, you know, we discussed it a bit yesterday on the show, sort of the, the, the background for the, the, the basic legal ins and outs of what Trump is actually being accused of here. And I think we can kind of dig more into both what legally is Trump being accused of. Uh, the basics are he had affairs with two women. They were going to publicize it right before the 2016 election. He had his lawyer pay them a bunch of hush money. He recorded the payments as legal fees to his lawyer, which lying for money, lying and exchanging money to lie is generally speaking a form of fraud. And this would be basically a kind of misdemeanor charge against President Trump. Now, the the money was paid by the Trump Corporation. Trump is claiming, I think, not implausibly, that he didn't know about the nature of these payments or anything of that sort. I I actually, given how kind of detached Trump was from the day-to-day running of the Trump Corporation and the way in which the Trump Corporation was doing this kind of thing in a number of respects of paying people things, you know, giving people money or valuable stuff and then not accounting it as income, and that's kind of what was happening, uh, Michael Cohen got, in addition to the hush money payments, Cohen got this big old bonus that wasn't recorded. uh, It it was recorded just as legal fees again, um, which was, again, part of the problem. Nonetheless, this would be a misdemeanor charge against the president. So I want to dig into, is this the kind of thing that President Trump should be charged with? Is this a clear-cut, serious violation of the law? Because a prosecution like this by a local prosecutor, even if it is the district attorney of Manhattan, about whom one more TV show has been made than most district attorneys around the country, law and order, is this the kind of thing that Alvin Bragg, the district attorney of Manhattan, should bring? Is this the kind of charge he should bring? It is a misdemeanor charge against one of the leading candidates for presidency, for the presidency, and a former president of the United States. It's a direct interference with the political process, and it's not to say that you're immune from prosecution just because you're running for president, or you should be, but I think at the very least we can all say it's a bad thing to prosecute someone running for president, unless you've got a clear-cut, obvious case of serious violations of the law. 
So Andy McCarthy was writing in National Review. And just so you all are clear, McCarthy is not some big Trump fan. But I think he's been the straightest shooter possible about the merits or lack of merits of all of the stuff surrounding Trump's various legal woes. From Russia stuff, impeachment stuff, everything. So McCarthy writes, Progressive prosecutor Alvin Bragg's impending criminal prosecution of Donald Trump is a disgrace as a matter of due process and good governance. It may actually be good for Trump's political fortunes, at least in the short term. Basically, McCarthy thinks Trump will actually get a bump in the Republican primary process if he is, in fact, indicted. Because I think most Republicans will see that this is kind of a BS, politically motivated prosecution. We shouldn't lose sight, though, that it is good for democratic political for, for democratic political fortunes in the long term. Obviously, Trump does not merit immunity from prosecution just because he is a former president, a current presidential candidate and an influential political figure with a devoted base of millions. Yet no former president and substantial candidate should be the target of a criminal prosecution, especially by the opposition party. Let's remember Alvin Bragg, the D.A. of Manhattan, is an elected Democrat Okay, he's not a nonpartisan official, especially by the opposition party, unless the matter is truly serious, unless it would be treated as felony conduct if it were committed by anyone. Besides Bragg's investigation, we have carefully covered the pending probes of the former president in connection with his efforts to overturn the 2020 election and his illegal possession of classified documents. Those are extraordinarily serious matters. We can agree or disagree about the legal theories that prosecutors may pursue, and we should watch carefully whether, on the classified documents, Trump is afforded equal protection of the law, given that President Biden and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, among others, have engaged in similar conduct with, so far, impunity. Nevertheless, if Trump were indicted for conduct, excuse me, if Trump were indicted for, say, obstructing Congress on January 6th, or obstructing the grand jury investigation of his hoarding of secret intelligence at Mar-a-Lago, no one could credibly claim that these were trumped-up cases, even if the decision to charge them is politically fraught. Not so with the Stormy Daniels caper. So McCarthy's just basically making the point, this Stormy Daniels thing is insignificant compared with, like, the Mar-a-Lago documents case. Or if you buy the legal theory behind the January 6th thing, which I think actually McCarthy is skeptical of, that would be a pretty serious thing. But the Stormy Daniels thing is just not as serious a charge. Alvin Bragg, the DA of New York, of Manhattan, is engaged in bare naked politics. The case is not merely unworthy as a prosecution of Trump which is why federal prosecutors walked away from it years ago, as did Bragg before he was pressured by progressive Democrats into reviving it. So th- this, is, this is the thing for the context of this. Nothing new has happened with the whole Trump, Stormy Daniels, Susan McDougal, Michael Cohen story. Okay, we've known about this story. You've probably all heard little bits and pieces of it. And again, the the basics of it is Trump had affairs with these women. They were coming forward to talk to the press. Cohen intercepted them. Cohen gave them, I think he gave one of them $150,000 to shut up. He gave another one $130,000 to shut up via the National Enquirer. Cohen 
had his own legal problems. He got arrested. He got charged. He flips on Trump. He gives he he sings. He tells them everything he can. And ultimately, though, both the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, the federal prosecutors who could have charged Trump with any of this stuff, because a lot of this was like tax related stuff. They decide not to charge him. They don't think they've got enough. Alvin Bragg himself, the district attorney of Manhattan, decided not to prosecute Trump. But what happened? Some high-profile attorneys from the Manhattan DA's office left, published, one in particular published a book about how horrible Alvin Bragg was for not going forward with the prosecution of Trump. And now all this additional media scrutiny is being put onto Alvin Bragg to bring a charge against Trump. So it's not like some new evidence has broken showing new bad conduct in the Stormy Daniels case. Now, does Trump, is Trump clean and pure as the wind-driven snow? No. All right. He, he's, at this point, Pretty much nobody's denying that he obviously had an affair, had affairs with this, these women. Um, hush money payments were sent to them. The only question is Trump's level of knowledge, which is very hard to prove over these payments coming from the Trump corporation to these women. All right. Now, uh, you could have solved this problem, not had this problem in the first place if you were faithful to your wife and kept it in your pants. I, I have yet to experience any legal troubles uh, regarding $150,000 hush money payments to porn stars. Um, in my experience, I find that if you don't cheat on your wife, it's actually a, a good way of going about these things. You know, just my th- this is the puritanical streak in me, it, it, although I don't even think it's puritanical. I, I have no sympathy for people who cheat on their wives or are involved in sexually harassing conduct. Like it's, it's very easy not to sexually harass people and not to cheat on your wife. It's pretty easy. I've been doing it with, with zero trouble for the last nine and a half, uh, almost 10, uh, almost 10 years now, May 25th. Sorry. Anniversary. There we go. Nonetheless, what Trump's being, what Trump is about to be charged with, it's misdemeanor conduct. Bragg, Alvin Bragg, who, by the way, is a Soros-funded district attorney. And I'm not saying this like I think sometimes people think the minute you mention George Soros, you're off in conservative conspiracy theory land. No, George Soros gave a lot of money to different candidates for district attorney's offices, district attorney, county attorney, whatever, offices throughout the country with a specific goal of radically reforming the implementation of criminal justice in major American cities. District attorneys funded by Soros are super left-wing, super into racial equity politics, and basically a lot of them have taken the perspective of we're not going to charge people with these whole swath of crimes. We're going to downgrade charges from, that would be felonies down to misdemeanors because we think America is an over-incarcerated society and we think too many black men are locked up and it's inequitable. Bragg is one of those people. Bragg is one of those ultra left wing district attorneys, kind of like Chase Boudin in San Francisco. They drove, drove, he was too liberal for San Francisco. They drove him out of office. Uh, George Gascon down in Los Angeles County. He is one of those kinds of guys. 
Okay, so this is an ultra-left-wing guy. And an ultra-political dude. The case is not merely unworthy as a prosecution of Trump, which is why federal prosecutors walked away from it years ago, as did Bragg before he was pressured by progressive Democrats into reviving it. It is also a case that everyone knows Bragg would never bring against anyone other than Trump. Crime is rampant in New York, in part because Bragg's default position is leniency and often non-prosecution when it comes to hardened criminals. Here, the case of falsifying business records against Trump is at best a nonviolent misdemeanor that is stale and could be inflated into a felony only by theories that are legally and factually dubious. This is a classic invidious selective prosecution. It is being launched strictly for political purposes. So that's the, I I think that's the long and short of it. Now, I think uh, McCarthy goes on to look at the politics of it, and I think McCarthy's right. I think Democrats probably think, rightly, that launching a prosecution like this against Donald Trump will help his prospects in the Republican primary, which is what they want because they think he is eminently beatable in a general election. And they want him to be the Republican nominee. Which I think is probably right. I mean, if you look at the Democrats' success in the 2022 elections, how did they have so much success? Well, in no small part, they gave money to super Trumpy, Trump-endorsed candidates who were all into stop the steal and and really hardcore Trump people. They the Democrats gave money to those people in their primaries and all of them lost. All of those candidates who were super into stop the steal, all the money that all the candidates to whom Democrats gave money, Republican candidates who were heavily into the Trump thing, all of them lost. So I think Democrats are taking the prospect of Trump is, at this point, the American people are just kind of tired of Trump. And if he's the Republican nominee, we are going to win in 2024. So let's do this. It will simultaneously make him more popular among base Republicans because they'll be mad at this political selective prosecution. And it sets us up to win the general election. When we return, how is this being turned into a scandal for Ron DeSantis? Next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show. Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Ron DeSantis was asked about the possible impending Trump indictment uh, on Monday, and this is what he had to say. Extradition to New York. So I've seen rumors swirl. I have not seen any facts uh, yet, and so I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. The the Manhattan district attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. And so he, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. He has downgraded over 50% of the felonies to misdemeanors. He says he doesn't want to even have jail time for the vast, vast majority of crimes. And what we've seen in Manhattan is we've seen the, sky, the, the crime rate go up and we've seen citizens become less safe. And so 
you're talking about this situation with, and look, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. But what I can- So DeSantis is, I think, answering this about as well as you can for someone who's an obvious opponent of Trump, where he is highlighting this is probably a very unfair prosecution given who this DA is. Now, it's bizarre how Trump is, on the one hand, demanding loyalty from everyone and a denunciation of this stuff, while also kind of sliming DeSantis. Uh, Trump writes out, Ron DeSanctimonious will probably find out, about, find out about false accusations and fake stories sometime in the future as he gets older, wiser, and better known when he's unfairly and illegally attacked by a woman, even classmates that are underage, or possibly a man. I'm sure he will want to fight these mits- misfits just like I do. So it's like Trump is also spreading innuendo about DeSantis. And and it's sort of become this bizarre little shouting match online where Trump is constantly trying to insinuate that DeSantis had had some sort of sleazy thing in his past. There's some, like, you know, basically there's all this stuff about, like, Trump is constantly insinuating this stuff that, DeSantis has had some sleazy stuff in his past. And I'm kind of amazed that certain Trump surrogates are making this out to be like, this is a scandal for DeSantis because he's he's not fighting extradition of Donald Trump. And, And it's this kind of thing where like, no, DeSantis doesn't really have a role in whether Donald Trump gets arrested in New York. Okay, it's not actually something where he can like, stop this all right basically it's highly unlikely trump will actually get arrested in florida the the usual thing in white collar cases like this is that he usually self-surrenders in new york makes bail uh and and does all that with the assistance of his counsel that's in new york so i think DeSantis, when he spoke on he was asked in case you didn't hear at the very start of his the quote that I played there, DeSantis was actually asked about extraditing Trump. And he's like, well, I, I can't comment on that because it hasn't happened yet. I mean, I guess if, you know, you know, if, if Trump, you know, knocked over a liquor store in New York and fled down, you know, I-95 down to Florida uh, and uh, had to be picked up by the cops there, then maybe there's some role for Ron DeSantis to extradite him, you know, back to New York. But it hasn't happened yet. And the most likely way this is going to happen is with Trump in Manhattan, like like happens in other white-collar cases, where he surrenders himself to in New York with the assistance of his lawyers in New York. So it's, it's probably not even applicable that DeSantis is going to have anything to do with extraditing Donald Trump or any role in this whatsoever. And it's sort of this thing of all these people... This is the, this ongoing little shadow war that's going on between Trump supporters and DeSantis supporters, uh, between Trump himself and DeSantis, where DeSantis is kind of not commenting on Trump's attacks as much as he kind of can. And 
I think it's because Trump is actually more scared of Ron DeSantis than he is scared of this prosecution. Trump is amplifying these like ultra left wing conspiracy theories about Ron DeSantis having had a drinking party with underage girls when he was a teacher in Georgia back years and years ago, which was from this ultra left wing pack had sort of promoted this idea. Um, It seems to me like kind of phony baloney conspiracy theory nonsense based on one picture. So it's this thing where they're trying to set DeSantis up to fail, like uh, whether DeSantis has the ability to refuse extradition. They demand that DeSantis refuse extradition, but it's a situation where he's not, he, he, he doesn't even have the ability to do that. And he can't even speak on it when the arrest hasn't even happened. So how on earth Trump is making this scandal about DeSantis kind of baffles me and how Trump, listen, let me just assure all of you, if I ever get arrested in connection to me paying a porn star and some other gal a whole bunch of hush money because I had an affair with them and I didn't want it to get out, Understand that it's a me problem and not an anyone else problem. All right. If that were to happen, you know, if if a rival radio station was about to release the dirt on John Girardi and of the John Girardi show and and I paid hush money payments to keep uh, affairs quiet. It's a me problem. It's not Trevor Carey's fault. Okay. (laughs) Let's see if I I can extend this analogy. Trevor and I are not in competition in the way Trump and DeSantis are. But anyway. Uh, that's a me problem. All right. It's not I'm, I'm not going to somehow turn it into Agent Squire's fault or producer. Uh, no, it's, it's not. His, it's, it's a me problem. And that's the thing with all this is, yeah, I think the prosecution of Trump is politically motivated nonsense. Yeah, I don't think anyone other than Trump would be prosecuted for this. Uh, yeah, I think it's wrong to do this to a presidential candidate. But it's also a thing that could have been completely avoided, okay, by the simple act of keeping it in your pants. So it's hard for me to have a ton of sympathy for Donald Trump. And furthermore, really hard for me to have a lot of sympathy for trying to somehow blame, make DeSantis be the bad guy in all this in terms of how Republican primary voters think. Like DeSantis, who has no role in extraditing Trump, DeSantis, who didn't who didn't do anything in connection with all this, DeSantis, who said all the right things, said, hey, this prosecutor is an ultra liberal. uh, This is obviously a a politically motivated prosecution. I'm not sure what more you want the guy to say or do. When we return, if a Republican were to win in 2024, the problems they face in actually governing. That's next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk, 96.7 and AM 1400. You know, the John Girardi Show is pretty high level. We have sources, journalistic sources, deep within the swamp of Washington, D.C. And I've learned some things about the inner workings of the Trump administration over time. And I'm not joking. I do actually know some people who either... Uh, worked in the Trump administration or friends of friends who worked there or people people in my 
orbit sphere of acquaintances through the pro-life world and, you know, other connections and things like that. Now, what I'm going to tell you, this is not like secret stuff or anything, but and, and it's all stuff that you probably could have observed from the outside looking in. One of the big problems of the Trump administration actually had nothing to do with Trump himself and his mode of managing. What you could see with the Trump administration as a big problem, and I think it's going to continue to be a big problem going forward for any Republican administration. All right. This is not just a Trump problem. This is a Republican problem. A problem of how you staff a Republican presidential administration. The gazillions of people who are political appointees, so not career employees of the federal government, but the political appointees who, you know, a whole set of them are in place during the Trump years and they all leave, they all get fired, they all pack up and go, and then they are replaced by the new camp of Biden people. And one of the things I've seen and noticed is that the Biden people, these kinds of bureaucratic office holders, these kinds of bureaucratic workers, lawyers and all analysts and all, all kinds of things, these kind of people get a lot done in Democrat administrations. All right. And I, I use this example because I know it best. Look at how the FDA regulated the abortion pill. If you look at the history of how the FDA regulated the abortion pill, what do you see? Let's start the history in 1993. Starting in 1993, the Clinton administration and the Clinton FDA begin efforts to bring the abortion pill over to the United States from Europe to get it FDA authorization. And they work like busy little beavers for eight solid years, working with the Ford Foundation, working with European regulators, doing trials, doing this, bringing it over. And finally, working, 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 working until in September of 2000, two months before the 2000 presidential election, in which they didn't know who's going to win. Is it going to be George W. Bush? Is it going to be Al Gore? Al Gore's favorite to win, but this George W. Bush guy seems like he's coming on pretty strong. What happens? Ultimately, George W. Bush does win. So it's a good thing from the Clinton perspective that in September of 2000, they got a rush authorization by the FDA to get FDA approval for the abortion pill. Abortion pill is approved by the FDA. Then, eight years of nothing happening with regards to the abortion pill during the Bush administration. Nothing. They don't do anything to roll it back. They don't do anything to push back on it. They don't do anything to push back on the emergency authorization that it received in September of 2000. They, nothing. Eight years of jack squat happening. Then, the Obama administration comes in. And over the course of eight years, the Obama administration does all kinds of stuff to loosen up restrictions on the abortion pill. They change it from, oh, instead of only in the first seven weeks of pregnancy, you can have it in the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. You can do this, you can do that. All this stuff gets loosened up. And it gets loosened up oh, throughout the course of the Obama administration, and especially in 2016. Why? Because a presidential election's coming up. 
And it's not 100% certain that Hillary Clinton's going to win. And in fact, she didn't. Donald Trump got elected. And then what happens for four years of Donald Trump with regulating the abortion pill? Nothing. Nothing. From 20, January 2017 to January 2021, nothing happens to roll back President Obama's loosening of restrictions. Absolutely nothing happens to deregulate. No, nothing happens to impose further regulations on the abortion pill. Not a thing. And then President Biden gets into office. And what immediately happens? More deregulation of the abortion pill. Abortion pill uh, prescriptions for the abortion pill can be fulfilled at major American pharmacies like CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid. Abortion pills can be shipped through the mail. Don't have to get them in person in the clinic. The abortion pill today, thanks to all of the deregulation, thanks to President Clinton bringing it over from Europe and getting FDA authorization in 2000, thanks to Barack Obama loosening up the restrictions on it to allow the abortion pill to be used up through 10 weeks of pregnancy, Thanks to President Biden allowing the abortion pill to be shipped through the mail. About half of American abortions are done via the abortion pill. And what did Republican administrations do? Jack squat. Republicans are bad bureaucrats. That's the lesson here. So many things that could have been done, should have been done, were done ineptly and were subjected to legal challenges and stopped. So many things throughout the course of the regulatory state. Another great example. California imposed all these regulations requiring insurance plans sold throughout the state other than self-insured plans. Every single insurance plan sold in the state of California has to cover abortion. Now, that violates federal law. There's this federal law called the Weldon Amendment that says that states are not eligible for various streams of Medicaid funding if they discriminate against health insurance plans that don't cover abortion. California does more than discriminate against them. They do not allow them to exist. So by rights, California should not receive a whole bunch of Medicaid funding. But what happened? Well, during the Biden administration, excuse me, during the Obama administration, when California first instituted these rules, uh, the Obama administration did not care and just continued funding California for money. People complained. Uh, The Obama administration did a dilatory investigation in which they said, ah, we don't think California is violating the Weldon Amendment. Let's keep paying them. The Trump administration comes in. Trump administration thinks that California is obviously violating federal law here. And it took them three years and 11 months to finally institute this blocking of Medicaid funding. The Trump HHS moved so slowly that it took them three years and 11 months. It was December of 2020, after Trump had already lost the election, December of 2020, when they finally instituted this penalty against California, which was immediately reversed by President Biden when he came into office. Republicans aren't good at running the federal government. We don't have a deep enough bench of policy wonks, administrators, lawyers, etc. We just don't. This is the problem. 
So I don't exactly know how we fix it. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, I've talked a bit on this show, my opinion of Trump versus DeSantis. And I think one of the things I've advocated for is I think the president should be a lawyer because it is fundamentally a legal job. Whether, you know, it's like it's like the district attorney's office okay, being the district attorney. OK, being the district attorney is a legal job. Now, anyone can run for it, I guess, and get elected. OK, um, my, you know, my dad's a doctor. I guess he could run for district attorney against Lisa Smith camp and he could theoretically win. And then he could be sitting in the chair of the district attorney and say, hey, prosecute that person, prosecute this person. But my dad fundamentally does not have the prerequisite skill set and training and education and understanding of the law necessary to be a really effective DA. Now, I don't think it's that extreme when you're president, although maybe it is, frankly. I don't know. I mean, there have been successful presidents who were not lawyers. But it is fundamentally a legal job. You are the chief law enforcement official for the federal government. You enforce the law. That's fundamentally what you do. What you say has legal impact and weight. That's why President Trump, often stuff he cared about the most was the stuff that he commented on the most, and thus the stuff that got stymied the most because he would comment on it without precision and care. And those comments would be presented as exhibits in legal challenges to his own policies. So, I I do think the president should be a lawyer, and I think a president who is a lawyer would maybe better understand how to utilize the power of the administrative state to accomplish his or her goals. I do think Ron DeSantis has demonstrated, Ron DeSantis, who is himself a lawyer, as the chief executive in Florida, has done an incredible job of demonstrating his deft ability to utilize his executive powers within Florida to accomplish conservative goals in, in very creative ways. You know, using emergency, uh, you know, using the emergency powers of the governor. Most governors use their emergency powers uh, to shut down their states due to COVID. DeSantis used emergency powers to open up more liberal counties in Florida. Uh, DeSantis was using his he's using his executive powers to radically transform higher education in Florida. He, he's doing all kinds of really clever and creative things to accomplish great conservative goals using the, his executive branch authority and power. So. I, 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 I do think that. A DeSantis type, any I think any kind of lawyer sitting in the White House will have a better understanding of the regulatory state, how to maneuver the regulatory state in an effective fashion in order to accomplish good conservative goals. I, I, I just think it's uh, I think it's undeniable that that is something that I, I think it's undeniable that a lawyer has a leg up when it comes to that aspect of the job. And again, I'm not saying that lawyers can't effectively serve as presidents, but you do look back, you know, I I laid out for you all the ways in which Biden, Obama, and Clinton were more effective at getting stuff done than Trump, Bush, etc. Look at past Democrat presidents. Biden, lawyer. Obama, lawyer. Clinton, 
lawyer. Look at the past Republican presidents. Trump, not a lawyer. George W., not a lawyer. George H.W., not a lawyer. Reagan, not a lawyer. I just noticed the pattern here. Democrats keep electing lawyers and they use the administrative state way better. I I don't think that's entirely a coincidence. So that's one of the reasons why, I I mean, it's not rocket science. If you listen to the show a lot, you guys can kind of tell I kind of favor DeSantis over Trump. That's a not insignificant reason why. Because I think for the actual doing of the job of presidency, I think DeSantis is better equipped to do it. And he's demonstrated in Florida. I think he has he utilized the executive his executive authority in Florida, I think, much more effectively than Trump utilized his executive authority when he was president of the United States. To close out the show, a sad street corner in Fresno next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. I don't like to give away my uh, exact location (laughs) or allow people to triangulate. But uh, basically, when I do my morning commute, I'm driving down Shaw, driving, you know, west down Shaw. And there's a a certain corner along Shaw where this building has gone up. The building has gone up kind of on the corner. And it's it's got a big sort of corner-facing wall. And this, I've driven past it a lot. It was under construction and kind of covered with a tarp. And this tarp was getting tagged with graffiti all the time. Tarp went away. The building went up. The wall went up. And brand new, nice coat of paint on it. Looks, you know, looks nice. This thing has been, in the two or three months that it's been up, tagged with graffiti about a gazillion times. And it uh, just tagged and tagged and tagged and tagged. And you, you can tell the owner is like trying to cover it up and it gets tagged again. And he tries to cover it up and paint over it and he gets tagged again. And it's just sad because clearly this must be like gangland ground zero. I mean, that, that's the only thing this can possibly be. So it's really sad. Um, I, I, I sort of feel bad about you know, that the city is in such a place where, you know, this is a busy part of the middle of Fresno, high traffic area, like a lot of commerce, and we're just incapable of having nice things. That that this, this spot is just like, nope, we're just going to make this look terrible forever. And you're never going to be able to have this look nice. And clearly there's not enough that can be done. And it's sort of... I guess I don't blame the police or anything. I know they got bigger fish to fry, but it's just really sad. It's sad that our city is sort of in this kind of state when it comes to crime. That'll do it for John Girardi Show. See you next time on Power Talk. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app.